0: welcome to science of business podcast by ValueShips. my name is radek and together with experts from various industries we discuss new research pieces and their application in business life if you're a manager or you want to be up to date with science that can be applied in your work this podcast is made for you Hello and welcome to another episode of Science of Business podcast. Today, my guest is Lucas Monzani, a professor from Ivy Business School at Western Univers- University in London, Ontario, Canada. That was my first <laughs> mistake when we were scheduling our call. And we will be talking about um, mindfulness. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for accepting my invitation. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. And... Um, Yeah, the topic, um, the reason why I found your paper, the one we will be talking about is um, because recently I got to know some um, other research results that show how big of an advantage is when we engage into mindfulness practices, that it reduces the stress level. It even changes our hormonal um, regulation that we can increase the oxytocin production. So All in all, what we know is that mindfulness works, but then when uh, going into practice and thinking, okay, how can I um, put mindfulness into practice at my workplace? What can I do to help my team members to um, be more mindful, to practice mindfulness and get all those benefits? Um... There is plenty of ideas and not sure which actually works. And here comes your paper and the reason why I loved it so much. Blending mindfulness practices and character strengths uh, increases employee well-being published in Human Resource Management Journal. And first of all, thank you for (laughs) writing it. And second of all, I wonder, um, how did you come up with this topic? Uh, What was the research um, before 2021 when you published it? Um, in in the topic of mindfulness practices?
1: Well, that's a great question, and thank you for asking. Um, well, this, this project actually came to me uh, by means of uh, one of my co-authors, Jordi Escartin, from the University of Barcelona. And Jordi and I were both always been interested in in positive psychology and the development of character. And, uh, well, he, he reached out to me and he says, Lucas, I have this data for an experiment, a field experiment we conducted with healthcare professionals. Uh, do you think we can do something with this? And I said, yeah, of course. It is a very interesting topic. So, so we realized uh, when we were working on the paper that um, you know there's so much literature on mindfulness. When we started reviewing the literature to write uh, what we call the theoretical background of the paper, that the, the the amount of literature that we found on mindfulness was was so exhaustive i think i found like if i remember correctly almost 19 or 20 meta analyses and that 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 covers almost 20,000 individuals in 314 studies if i am correct if i recall correctly so that's a lot of a lot of literature and so i told you already there's definitely something here and there's something we, we should do with it so that was a bit of the driving force uh, also, uh, in addition to that, um, in a more conceptual terms, as you, I also heard a lot about mindfulness and its importance. And, you know, uh, what I was concerned was that people tend to overuse the term and everything is mindful and and okay. without properly understanding, you know, the reaches of, of this practice and what we can expect. So that was a little bit of my, my concern, saying, okay, this stuff works, but... How much does it work? Does it work a little? Does it work a lot? So that was our driving question.
0: Yeah, I think those are the two biggest contributions of your paper. First of all, um, I found so many ideas for what kind of practices can you implement in your workplace. But then also you gave us an answer which ones work the most and which ones we should uh, focus um, our um, initiatives our um, interventions in in our uh, organizations yeah i think like there are two purposes for for me today so first off is to explore those so maybe we can start with that talking about mindfulness-based practices and something you also introduced mind mindfulness strength-based interventions if i recall correctly if you could maybe tell us a little bit more about what kind of um Interventions. What kind of activities fit into those categories? So, in practice, what what can we actually do um, in our workplace to increase mindfulness so to have those mindful moments?
1: Mindfulness uh, is a part of the Buddhist philosophy and tradition, and it was it's one of the one it's one of the eight uh, the one of the eight steps of the Noble Eightfold Path uh, as as popularized by Thich Nhat Hanh in 1993. So that is, in that sense, mindfulness has a millenary history. It's been practicing for, for the ages. And it was only recently until about the, uh, in 1984, if I remember correctly, where Kabat-Zinn uh, uh, used this this idea of mindfulness to, to address chronic pain. Kabat-Zinn was a doctor and he was interested in finding alternative ways of reducing the chronic pain of his patients. So he developed uh, uh, what is called uh, his eight-step eight program. And then it, then he realized that actually it's extremely good. Mindfulness was extremely good at reducing emo- negative emotional states such as distress, anxiety, and depression. And that is when he created the mindfulness-based stress reduction program. Which is a it's a it's a program that has that takes for eight weeks and you 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 gradually expand your awareness about different topics in life. You start with your breathing, but at the end of the eight week, you're even uh, engaging in mindfulness in your everyday life. Uh, people tend to think that mindfulness is all about meditation, and actually, that is not the case. Uh, meditation is increasingly enhanced by, by mindfulness, but that is not necessarily the only thing that mindfulness can help
0: with. Yeah. I think it, it comes a lot in, uh, in the discourse that you read about mindfulness and then, okay, so now meditate for five minutes. Like these terms are really uh, used interchangeably. Could you maybe expand a little bit on in here? Like, what do you, what is the difference and, and, is one included in the other, or how do well, you... Well, uh,
1: for example, um, Ryan Nimick, who is one of the leading authors in this space, he refers to mindfulness as, as, the, as a self-regulation of attention with an approach with curiosity, openness, and acceptance. Right. So, so basically, it's a way to engage with the world. My, meditation is, is uh, it's an activity that helps us to prepare the mind to get to that state where we can engage with the world in that in that uh, in that uh, frame of mind, in that state, mindful state, and uh, but once we are able to achieve that relatively often with the practice of meditation, but also mindful breathing, etc., we can we can start to connect with things in our everyday lives in you know, a in a much fuller and present way. So so yeah, so it's it's usually a misconception that mindfulness is only about meditation, but actually it's about everyday life.
0: So in a sense, med- meditation is one path to mindfulness, but it's absolutely. not the only one. That's a great way well. to put it. Exactly. All right. So what are the other ones? <laughs> Coming back to the original question about the mindfulness-based intervention.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, so well, Kabat-Zinn program was so successful that um, it got the attention of a lot of psychotherapists. For example, a Seagull, Williams, and Teasdale uh, they develop what is called the mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. So basically, it's embedding these principles of mindfulness into the well-established problem of cognitive therapy. And um, and then uh, on on the topic that is closer to our to my paper, Ryan Nimick uh, from the VIA Institute, he developed uh, the mindfulness-based uh, strengths program MSBP, M B S P. Sorry. And, um, and basically he, he realized that, uh, following the Buddhist tradition too, that mindfulness can also be a, a door to, to get awareness and to direct that awareness towards one's strengths, what the things that make you excel in life and, and be, um, to unleash your full potential. So, so he's, he always talks about strong mindfulness and mindfulness strength use as, as a, as a loop, that one helps the other. The more mindful you're aware, the more aware you are of your strengths, the more you exercise your strengths, the the this contributes and feeds back back to your ability to become mindful in your everyday life. And I found it fascinating. I found the idea super interesting. Um, on, my, on, my, uh, on my day job, if I may, I am a positive leadership scholar. So as a, a interested in leadership, I'm always curious about Finding ways of unleashing the potential of of employees at work and creating better better workspaces so that they can feel fulfilled and and find more than just satisfaction but also meaning in their everyday lives. And and we really gave this a very serious thought and saying if we can if we can facilitate the mindfulness of of leaders, then we're definitely gonna trickle down to to followers. But you don't have that on yet on on that yet i will i will get some soon i hope
0: (laughs) here um there is something i'm curious about you mentioned via character strengths um i love this model and just for our listeners to um also know a little bit about it um it's character strengths uh test and the entire model that gives you an insight of which are your uh, core character strengths and like or or previously, I think they were called the virtues, yes. right? Um, and and in a sense, like the the attributes of character that are positive and and bring some positive value to our life. And I love it on one hand because I find it very inspirational to be better. And and this is, I think, how Ryan came came to the list of those uh, strengths that they um, they were researching what made a person good across religions across um <laughs> cultures and then they listed those which are universal to to human what how to be better as a human so so in this sense i i really loved it but then um i think um they and and correct me if i'm wrong but i couldn't find much uh, evidence for um validity of the model so it was like, like the the research is is there but I'm not sure if they published it um, in some in some journals
1: so let me expand a little bit on on your background on the on the research so so the study on character strengths and virtues was originally done by uh, Seligman and Peterson Martin Seligman and Chris Peterson who did that uh, heavy lifting of exploring the the major belief systems, ethical codes, across cultures and across temporal epochs. So they, they identify these four, the 24 character strengths, which in turn they cluster into six virtues. So uh, so when in in the VIA framework they they talk a lot about the the 24 strengths, but those 24 in turn also Load into what we call the the six virtues uh, of their framework, and uh, yeah, the research is on on positive leadership is actually quite abundant. It's the, the thing is that it's mostly applied to to clinical psychology, uh, and educational psychology, and and it's recently gaining strength in the work in the work literature. So so. Um, so it, it's uh, it's it started more of a of a clinical psychology and a therapeutical area, but actually it's, now it's getting traction and spilling over to a, a variety another another areas and and uh, Radek, I can tell you that uh, I have reviewed that literature several times and and it's quite robust actually. Uh, one of the con- one of the concerns mm. that Seligman and and his team had was that you know we need to make sure that we practice the science of well-being, right? You talk about the science of business, but the scholars were interested in, yeah. in you know, applying uh, the rigorous scientific method to see if what, you know, they, they learn qualitatively also relates empirically. So, so, but yes, indeed in the work, in the world literature, it's
0: still an emerging topic. It's, it's slowly moving forward. And, in in your paper, since we are talking already about the character strengths, you have those uh, strengths-based uh, intervention. If you maybe could elaborate on that, on how those um, mindfulness practices work. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. So going back to where we're talking about meditation and entering a mindful state. So what we did in our research, we compared two groups. We compared the, uh, uh, a mindfulness-based intervention, mostly modeled kabat sense approach and then we 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 the ms uh, msbi it's an adaptation of uh, Ryan Nimick's mbsp so so we we didn't fully follow to the letter his program but we we remained true to the spirit and uh, and what we found out was that um you know the we we all, we tried to keep the both uh, conditions as as close as possible and Basically, we were trying to trigger that mindful state in the early early moments of each session, and then on the on the mindfulness uh, strength based intervention, we also unpacked uh, one one strength per session, right? Uh, we focus on sets, we focus on love, we focus on curiosity, etc. And and then what we did is after each session, we gave. Uh, our participants of a study, a little bit of a homework to do in the week so that they can bring that into their everyday lives in both conditions, right? Uh, And uh, yeah, so what we found out is that for five out of six metrics of psychological well-being, wellbeing, results show that in our field experiment, uh, the mindfulness-based, mindfulness-strength-based intervention was a stronger predictor of all these criteria. So actually they both work but the MSBI works even better, even more. So uh, that was a very interesting finding because we were expecting to find one or two, but uh, we actually found a consistent finding across the board. And you know, we even controlled for other constructs that may be confounding, like uh, psychological need satisfaction, which is a strong component of the self-determination theory and uh, Ryan and Desi's model of well-being. So, so yeah, I think our results in that field experiment are quite robust. Um, and uh, what, what, what the second-order meta-analysis allowed us to address, which many of our reviewers cr- criticized, was saying that you have very little people in your field experiment. And uh, so they were saying, well, you have 15 and 17. That's not enough. You know, you, your study is underpowered. Yeah, statistically, yeah, statistically underpowered. So we said, no, you're wrong, because you know, when, when the stud when the when the when the construct you're exploring um it has very large effect sizes, then you know, when you do a power calculation, you need less people because you're not trying to find a very small effect size for which you need a lot of people, but actually the effect size that you're looking for is very large, so we can get away with less people. So I took there uh, some insight from the medical sciences, which sometimes they do studies, but not the number of people that we have in organizational behavior or psychology.
0: Coming back to your um, results, you mentioned um, the measures of well-being that, uh, that were increased over the time of the study. I think this might be interesting for our um, viewers to know what um, what are those. So what kind of results can we expect when we introduce uh, mindfulness in our work?
1: Absolutely. That's a great, uh, great insight. So um, basically the way we measure well-being is probably using one of the most, um, one of the most well-established measures, because when you're doing research, you want to make sure that you're measuring with an instrument that has been validated and it's been found to robust. So in this case, we use a key, a riff and keys, psychological well-being scale, and it has six components. And some of those components are a uh, positive relationship with others, mastery of your feeling that you have mastery of your environment, uh, your personal growth, um, also your self acceptance, uh, your feeling that you have, your life has meaning and purpose. And uh, sorry, those were the five metrics we use of, of what we call hedonic well-being. And we also measured their emotional state, the positive effect. And we, we were expecting that in, uh, as cross as they transverse through this intervention, participants will increase in their, in their effect. So uh, basically, if you look in the paper, all the trends go up. Instead with the positive relation with others, which for some reason started lower in the in the mindfulness-based intervention group, but they increased in time. Whereas in the second group, uh, in the MBI, they were basically higher from the start, and they don't don't change that much. So that was probably the, mm. the most interesting uh
0: finding. May, may, <laughs> hypothesizing here that maybe they were just Bringing higher the relationship with themselves, so <laughs> there was a cost yeah, yeah, that's that's
1: stuff that we need to we need to find out in future studies. So of course, we need to replicate this this study and and uh, you know always make sure that our results keep on holding as we increase the sample size and of our studies.
0: well, that's it, it's more than I would expect. So you know we uh, when we introduced this um, podcast, we were talking about the influence of mindfulness on um, stress levels, on on the anxiety and so forth. But then there is also this control, this feeling of learning, the relationships with self and, and with others, self-acceptance. Um, that's plenty. And I wonder, so coming back to your intervention, you mentioned... Um, you were introducing one uh, character strength at a time at one session, uh, discussing its influence on life. I imagine, or yeah,
1: we, we had a number of, of exercises. And yeah, this was uh, uh, the the beauty of mindfulness based interventions is that they can done can be done either individually or in groups. So. So, what I think it's, uh, what what's one of the most interesting things about this, this intervention, which is all Jordi and Lucia's, uh, merit. I, I just did more of the quantitative stuff is that they, they designed and, and they adapted very well Ryan Nimitz, uh, M, M, MBSP so that, you know, they can focus on, on one strength, but not just at the individual level, but at the group level. And I think that the, that's probably the main driver of the effect because by by also embedding character into into your practice of mindfulness, you're only enhancing your own internal self-regulation and well-being, but you're also expanding your ability to to relate in a meaningful and positive way with others, which re- which in turn should increase all these uh, social-oriented metrics like positive relationship with others. Uh, you know, sense of of personal growth. Well, you cannot grow without unless you engage with other people, and you know. Uh, so, so the social component, I think, it's it's what
0: brings the value in mm. the MBSP and
1: the MSPI. Yeah.
0: yeah, and and then it makes more sense because I imagine you know, go, like putting it straight to practice. I imagine like a. Badly designed intervention in a company would be that we send out an email, hey, today is a day of strength, love, let's yes. say, explore love. Yes, <laughs> exactly. The, that that uh, would be very... Throughout the day, no one would do that.
1: Right? Yeah. So um, so basically, and there is another layer to that, Radek, because you know, um, organizations, uh, as we know from organizational behavior, organization needs to be coherent in their messaging to their employees it's very difficult to get them to believe and, and adopt a mindfulness uh, character based practice if you are overworking your employees, if you're not paying them what they're worth, if you have a toxic culture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, in the spirit of understanding the limits also of um, mindfulness at work, it's important to, to understand that this is not a solution for other type of problems. Um, you need to make sure that to create a positive work climate, you need to make sure that workloads are balances, that people feel that they're being rewarded for their contributions, that they are not, they don't have, you know, exploiting managers, uh, that the, the roles are clear. So there is a level of organizational level constructs that affect individual behavior. But also, even in the face of the lack of all of that, this 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 mindfulness character based practice allows you to cope better with the lack thereof of that. But uh, from an organizational perspective, if you want to promote the use of this, make sure that you have your ducks in a row first uh, and you don't use this to cover other problems and holes.
0: This reminds me because um, I see a lot uh, when uh, motivation comes on the agenda in uh, in training and in, in some uh, corporate education is that um, usually, it starts and ends with self-determination theory you mentioned earlier uh, from Ryan and Desi. Uh, but then, if your boss is exploiting you, if they're micromanaging, self-determination theory you won't be self-driven in a sense. Like there are some other, there are some bigger things that you also need to cover. What you're saying is also very interesting because um,
1: what we have, um, you know, usually managers uh, use a different approach, which is goal-setting theory. And goal setting theory, it's a motivational approach that is mostly extrinsically driven. You connect goals to valuable rewards. Whereas self determination, in theory, it's internally or in, in intrinsically driven. So, um, so sometimes the mismatch between the messaging and the actual practices is something to take into consideration. And, and I, I, and I make the same claim in this paper we cannot think that mindfulness at work is a solution for all the problems but it works and it is a useful one so it cannot solve every problem but it can solve you know a number of problems
0: in a sense i only now realize because it's not a hot topic anymore like i think mindfulness was a hot topic 2 years ago and now we start to realize that it is important it's not it's it's kind of new normal in in organizational uh, management um and only now i'm realizing how impactful it can be on teams once we have those um other issues figured out and then we want to really help and improve and make teams feel safer uh and and more um inclusive in 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 essence absolutely Radik,
1: absolutely and i'll tell you that um you know um it's it's, it's the one of the values, uh, the more, pra- I'm forgetting about all the importance, inherent value of the practice by itself. But in terms of practical terms, uh, we tend to to work, in, to work in, in a constant cognitive overload. You know, emails keep on coming in every minute. Uh, you know, we have to, f- div- our attention is divided into several tasks. And all that, all the, all those demands on our brain our cognition and our attention, they do take a toll on individuals. So being able to take the pause and recenter oneself and connect what is, and being present in the moment, in practical terms, it has this positive effect on cognition and, uh, and, and our ability to focus. And that is the spillover to actual performance. So people can focus better, can have more honest and transparent relationships with others. They, they feel that they are more in control rather than being overwhelmed by situations. And um, and it has a lot of actually also practical value. But uh, what I think it's important is to not to think this as another as another thing that you another practice uh, without without heart, you know, one another compliance thing. But actually, there's much more potential to this. That there's there's a potential to unleash, uh, you know, the well being of your employees, their creative nature, their their sense of purpose, you know, and and. That, that inner intrinsic motivation that Ryan and Desi talk about, which is so difficult to actually get at work, specifically as we grow more burnout and more cynic and you know and we're waiting, okay, so what now is going to be the next the next trend and stuff like that. This is a millionary practice with a huge potential in my
0: perspective. I, I need to note that Dan you men- mentioned about being cynical. I think like this is the definition of a workplace and and Post-pandemic and, and in many ways, we we have encountered so many um, wrongdoings, <laughs> so many mistakes over over the last two years that uh, I think cynicism is just out there. I need to research that; that's very interesting. Um, but now I wanted to come back to the results of your meta-analysis because you mentioned, you know, like those strength-based. Um, interventions working around the character strengths, that is definitely something to recommend. But I wonder, given that you have done a meta-analysis of other meta-analyses, I'm pretty sure (laughs) you have some more recommendations on what other practices can we implement in the workplace to uh, increase this well-being through um, mindfulness.
1: Absolutely. So, so um, as I was telling you earlier before, um, there is an, a, a huge abundance of literature of mindfulness-based interventions, I'm mostly following Kabat-Zinn's approach, and there were not so many um, not so many interventions about M- MBSP because, of course, it's uh, an emerging topic; it's it's still new in the field, so we don't have so much accumulated evidence. But going back to the results, what we found out in our meta-analysis is. Um, is that this mind, both mindfulness any mindfulness based intervention that we review had a, a negative effect on stress and negative emotions meaning that they reduce the level of uh, of emotion, of negative emotions and stress and not they just reduce it by little they reduce it by a lot um, this this notion of effect sizes i was referring to before is basically a way, a statistical way to determine how much impact an intervention has. And, you know, it's, it's, it comes a lot, for example, it's used a lot, for example, in medicine. Does this medication, do I see observable changes in, you know, in, in the patient or, you know, the changes are more subtle? And if the, if the changes are, are observable to the, to the bare eye, uh, you know, that's considered a large effect size. If you know, I have to do a blood test or something to see a little micro change. That's a very little effect size. So, so that's a way that we have in science to communicate or to benchmark the efficacy of of different interventions. So, uh, yeah, So what I did is I collected thirteen meta analyses, which involved three hundred studies, and you know that is a lot. <laughs> And uh, so
0: the uh, the correct (laughs) yeah it's maybe a little bit of um, recognition in here for scientists is that um, you know we just speak about one paper that is a meta analysis of other meta analyses but in fact it it includes hundreds of years of research all together from different people um, that were dedicating their time to advance this topic so it's really you know, no business book can cover this amount of work and it's just one paper. And that's why I love uh, reading uh, science so much.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't put it in better words because, you know, at the end of the day, science and good science is a collective effort. We, we do stand on shoulders, shoulders of giants. and In my case, the giants are all the 13 other authors and Kabat-Zinn and Ryan Nimik and Seligman. You know, it's a cumulative effort. So, yeah, so going back to the results, I did find a, a very large negative effect on negative emotions at 0.74, so, which is almost, uh, it's, it's this observable difference, as I was telling you before. And then it, at the same time, when looking at the well-being, not just at reducing the bad, but increasing the good, we also find a very, also again, large and strong effect size of 0.58. So that means that after conducting this intervention across a, a myriad of sectors you know healthcare you know educational organizations clinics etc 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 more than 19,000 people consistently reported higher levels of uh, well-being and reduced levels of emotional emotional negative emotions and
0: in this case and stress anxiety and depression so it was mainly this um, approach by Kabat-Zinn, right? Yes.
1: I mean, the, the, of but, course, when you do a meta-analysis, uh, you're trying to, to summarize information. So the, 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 in our meta-analysis, the biggest the biggest uh, or the most well-used uh, practice was Kabat-Zinn. Then we have also a cognitive, a mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, but uh, the caveat, scene, what it has is that it's a, it's a great approach to organizations because it, you don't set up a clinical context. You, you can do it, in, in, you know, as an intervention in the workplace without need of therapy, yet, which in some countries have bigger implications
0: and complications. too. So, so most of this research was doing this full eight week program or like that's correct. Mm. Yes. So, all right. so yeah, all, the, right.
1: all the all the meta analyses
0: we re- reviewed, they were
1: assessing the efficacy of of an eight week program. And what it was really of interest to us, which aligned with the results of our field experiment, that in the healthcare sector, actually, that is a a huge topic. Um, and that's why we conducted our research with the healthcare practitioners because. Uh, unfortunately, not only doctors but nurses, staff, uh, assistant nurses, even before the pandemic, were already out. and now after uh, after the pandemic, uh, they're mega burnout and you know depressed and anxious, etc. So there's a uh, there's a lot of studies in the medical in the medical sector in the healthcare sector. So that was very interesting.
0: I wonder this might be beyond your paper, but maybe you have some insight on it because you know when i would google now um mindfulness practice mindfulness intervention 90% chance that the, some breathing ex- breathing exercise would appear um, you know mindful breathing breathing or maybe body scan um put your attention to your body put your attention to how you're, how do you feel sitting on the chair and so forth um and and this is the um what, what appears mostly in, in terms of mindfulness. And this is how I imagined it before our um, talk. I wonder, do you think those also work? Or if there is any evidence on on the efficacy of, uh, of these kinds of very little, tiny interventions that you can do on your lunch uh, break? No,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. So probably the reason why you find so many, uh, you know, interventions or even, you know, YouTube videos or podcasts about breathing is because that's the really the starting point. So, you know, um, if you want to be a black belt in karate, you don't, you don't do the double back flip on the first day, right? You start with, uh, and I don't have a clue about karate. I'm just uh, using this as a metaphor, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you probably start with, with some basic movements, right? So you develop muscle strength, etc. So Focusing on breathing actually is one of the very more, the, the very initial approaches that you can do to start uh, becoming mindful. Um, because closing the eyes and focusing on your breathing first decenters you from the context and fo- and re- rearranges your focus towards something that is absolutely static, uh, but also dynamic at the same time. Static in the sense that we, we breathe every second of our life or, or we die. And, and we take our breathing everywhere we go. We can focus on our breathing, like in the lunch break, in the bus, you know, any moment. Um, and, you know, after that, then the idea is that as you, breathing is your first step into this journey. And then as you expand your awareness, you end up at the end of the program of Kabat Sin, at the mindful living, where it's not just about breathing, but it's actually about Engaging and exchanging with others in a, in a mindful way. You can have mindful walking. So basically, uh, this is a big misconception that we were trying to dispel earlier on in the podcast. It's not just about meditation or breathing or a body scan, but these are uh, exercises that you can do to strengthen your ability to enter a mindful state. Another interesting aspect of the research is what is called the trade mindfulness, which is the opposite of a mindful state. You know, some of the meta-analysis review, there were actually summarizing the evidence on the, the natural tendency of some individuals to be better at entering at this mindful state than others. That's a trait versus the the, act, the effects of the actual state, I'm feeling mindful right now, which is a psychological state. And of course, you know, this trait helps. But uh, the good news is that actually it's not uh, either or actually That contributes to, but you can also develop your mindfulness through the practice of breathing body scans, which are the first steps. But you're expected then, as you progress in your journey, to become more and more aware of other issues and then embed it into your everyday life. That's the the core idea.
0: Yeah, it might be that we start and end at the very first step. and, uh, And I love it. Also, you know, because learning brings us dopamine and then exploring more and more um, can be uh, an engaging journey. So I think this could be also a proposal for the practitioners to implement in their organization, not just. You know, sending out an email in in uh, corporate messaging that from now on take five minute break for breathing. I yes, mean, uh, from
1: from nine from nine o'clock till nine o five, you're gonna be mindful. Then you go back to working, and then at nine thirty, you're mindful again. And yeah, no, it does that's not how it works. But you gotta start somewhere, right? Even even uh, you know, it's better to have a little than nothing. My, my philosophy at least. And uh, you were talking about oxytocin. Uh, when you started your postcard, podcast and the relationship between oxytocin and well-being is that oxytocin helps us to, to establish social bonds and become attached with other people, which helps, uh, you know, with positive relationship with others, as I was referring to before. Uh, but the other effect that oxytocin has, that it's an antagonistic of cortisol, which is the, the stress hormone. So the negative effect of, of mindfulness on, on stress from a more biological perspective could be that by, by producing oxytocin, oxytocin degrades the cortisol and that reduces your overall sense of state, uh, of uh, anxiety state.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that makes a lot of sense in, in, in the way uh, mindfulness can play a role in our well-being. Um, I'm checking my notes and I think I have covered it all. I have gathered all the insights I wanted from you. So for me and I hope for our audience as well, uh, it's quite clear now what mindfulness is, what it isn't, uh, how it differs from meditation, how meditation brings us to mindful states. And what kind of practices can we introduce in our uh, organizations to um, get all the benefits that we listed about feeling the mastery, growth, um, relationships with others, self-acceptance, positive emotions, and and uh, and more. That's very promising. I wonder if you have some final closing remarks or what was most interesting for you in this entire research, what was... Um, Revolutionary for uh, from your perspective,
1: absolutely, Karik Radek. I have two two ideas that I would like to share with our audience as closing remarks. Idea number one, or takeaway number one, mindfulness works. It's not a hype. It's not just something nice that you say. It's not a, a practice. It's not about breathing. It it's just uh, that and much much more. And that uh, you know what I was answering to your question. What really struck me about this is the impact that it has. It's very difficult to find this type of effect sizes in other interventions in the literature. And that was really an eye-opener from a scientific perspective. Um, The second takeaway is that character does matter. This is probably one of our flagship uh, slogans from our Character Institute, the Inatovich Institute for Leadership at Ivy Business School and we understand that character matters so much that we are trying to embed it in organizations in our conversation with executives and leaders and we believe by developing character in in leaders we can have this trickle down effect that you know affects culture affects processes affects employees uh, affects mentoring coaching etc so um, so, we are really committed of uh, finding ways to develop character. And my next project is going to be kind of replicating this field experiment, but incorporating a condition where we develop the mindfulness of character, of the leader character, mindfulness leader character intervention, and compare it with the MBSP and compare it with the MBI. And we see if there's, in addition to the individual effects, there's a trickle-down effect from leaders to followers, which would be an amazing finding. And, you know, we're doing that in collaboration with, uh, with VIA. We're doing it in collaboration with health science practitioners. So it's really an exciting time for the study of mindfulness, character, and leadership. So um, maybe we'll see each other again in, in a couple of co- couple of months when I finish that study.
0: Looking forward to it. Thank you very much for joining me today.
1: It was my pleasure. Thank you so much,
0: Rady. And that would be it for today. My guest was uh, Lucas Monzani. You can read more of his work in the notes of this um, podcast. Uh, He's writing also about positive leadership and you can find it um, there. Thank you for listening to this episode of Science of Business podcast. Follow Valueships on LinkedIn and Facebook to be up to date with future episodes and live streams from the recording.